Greetings. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Today we are beginning a new study, this time in the book of Hosea. Now at the time of Hosea, the people were not faithful to God. They were following after idols. And it took place not long before the Assyrian and the Babylonian exiles, which was actually God's judgment upon them for their idolatry. Now into this very wicked and dark society, God sent his prophet Hosea. And Hosea came to warn them of judgment. Now, that's a very typical Old Testament prophetic message, but Hosea was not just a normal prophet with a normal message. His message was going to be larger than life because God was going to use Hosea's very life as a visible object lesson. The book of Hosea is probably most famous for God's command to Hosea to marry a woman who would later betray him. Hosea had to enter into a covenant with her and commit himself to her knowing that she was going to be unfaithful. And so this marriage picture of Hosea and his unconditional love and faithfulness toward her is a powerful depiction of God's love and God's faithfulness toward his people and then even toward us today. So this book teaches us important history of Israel, but it also shows us very amazing practical lessons on love and forgiveness, commitment, and justice. For those who are married or hope to be married one day, there are many lessons in this book that can be applied directly to marriage. And those with perhaps broken relationships will learn about forgiveness. All will come to a deeper understanding of our own sin and a deeper appreciation for God's mercy and his grace. So I hope that you will join with us in our study of the book of Hosea. Again, today we are starting in chapter 1. And this is an incredible chapter because God tells Hosea to do some basically unbelievable things. Uh, things that you would not ever expect God to ask someone to do. And so the key idea from today's lesson in chapter 1 is, are we willing to do anything and everything that God has asked us to do, no matter how difficult, even if it is inconvenient and requires great self-sacrifice? So we, re we will read through chapter 1, and then we will get into those lessons. Here it is. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Uh, so I will just discuss each of these parts as we go through. The book begins, as often is the case, with the prophets saying the word of the Lord. So this is a reminder that this is a message from God. It's authoritative and it is trustworthy. And then Hosea mentions uh, many different kings. So he mentions that this took place in the days of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah in the days of Jeroboam. So his ministry would have been roughly uh, 760 to about 710 BC. So a number of different people are mentioned here, including uh, Jeroboam. Uh, Jeroboam was a contemporary of Uzziah. He was the 13th king of Israel. He reigned for 41 years. He was a very wicked king. Uh, Uzziah had a very long reign, 52 years, and it's likely that Hosea's ministry began at the end of his reign. He became king at the young age of 16, and his name means Jehovah is strength. Uzziah started off as a godly king, and he enjoyed much success. 
Eventually, he became prideful, and then he actually offered incense in the temple, which was against the law for a king to do. Only the priests were to do that. He was struck with leprosy. Uh, Jotham, he was a good king and followed the Lord faithfully. Ahaz was a very evil king, and he engaged in idol worship, and he actually influenced uh, the whole land to come into idol worship. Hezekiah is the most famous of these kings, and he reigned for 29 years. He was a very good and a very faithful king. So Hosea was prophet for some time across the reigns of different kings, and some of these are of the northern kingdom, and some of these are of the southern kingdom. So this is the backdrop uh, of the time when Hosea was doing ministry. Now let's go to the message that God asked him to share. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Okay, so we saw this is the word of the Lord, and we see it again in verse 2, the Lord, of the, the word of the Lord uh, spoke through Hosea. So that's all very typical and normal of prophets. But then what did God say? He says, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Now, this is not a phrase you will often see. God commanded Hosea to marry a wife of whoredom. This phrase does not necessarily identify his future wife, Gomer, as a prostitute, but it does highlight her unfaithfulness. Now, there is some controversy over the question, was Gomer a prostitute already when Hosea married her, or did she become one later? Now, if she was already unfaithful at the time of the marriage to Hosea, it would be a little bit difficult to reconcile the moral implications of God commanding him to marry her. Uh, so my own view is that it's more likely that Gomer was faithful at first, and then only later would abandon Hosea and demonstrate her unfaithfulness. Now, God knew this ahead of time. God knew what kind of a person Gomer was, and he knew what she would later do. And he told Hosea, even knowing all of that, knowing all that she would become, you still go and get married to her. Now, this is would be an act um, that is an allegory demonstrating the Israelites' unfaithfulness as a nation against God. So Gomer represents Israel, and then Hosea represents God. Hosea is to be faithful and steadfast and show unconditional love, which is what God does towards us. Whereas Gomer, uh, even though she has a husband who is so good to her and so loving to her, ends up betraying him. And so this is a picture of what happened between God and Israel. God knew when he chose Israel as a nation, he chose all the way back the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the time of Egypt, he, he chooses them as a nation, and God knew what they would become. He knew that they would betray him, that they would go after idols, that they would rebel against him many times, and yet he still chose to give them his covenant. He still chose to love them. He still chose to be faithful to them. So, Hosea could look forward with what God told him and know that Gomer was going to do those very hurtful things toward him, and yet he still chose to proceed 
with this marriage according to God's command. And God looked forward to see what Israel would do, and he knew that they would sin, and he chose them anyway. So we see a very strong picture here. And throughout the book, we'll see that God uses this relationship as a visible picture of his relationship to the nation of Israel. So to properly illustrate this symbol, Hosea must act with love and commitment, even when he knew Gomer would become uh, eventually a prostitute. So Hosea must exercise the same type of unconditional love that God shows to us, or this object lesson would fail. We will see throughout the book that Hosea does just that. Now, how would you feel uh, for the perhaps the single men out there or thinking back on your single days if God gave such an instruction to you? We would, well, we'd probably be confused. Why is God telling us that? But we would, we would be reluctant. Like, okay, in order to teach this lesson um, that God wants me to teach or to show this picture that God wants me to demonstrate, I need to get married to this person who I know will hurt me, who I know will be unfaithful to me. That would be a very, very difficult thing to do. But Hosea obeys. He obeys God's instruction. Um, this is far more than just an inconvenience. This is a very deep and a very personal hurt that he is going to experience as a result of this. But because he has a special calling and a special mission from God, he is willing to do it. So what lessons do we learn from Hosea's willingness to obey God in this? I don't think that it's likely God has ever asked you to do something nearly so difficult as this. And we should take note of the fact this is a narrative. This should never be used um, as any kind of a justification for getting married to someone we know has very, very serious uh, character flaws. This was a very unique situation, uh, a one-time event when God was using Hosea and using his life to demonstrate a picture of God's unconditional love. But yet God does sometimes ask us to do things that are very difficult and that may hurt and that require self-sacrifice. And those times we need to follow Hosea's example and do it even when it is difficult. Now we can see ourselves in this story. Now the story of Hosea and Gomer is a picture of God in Israel, but it's also similar with God in us. So in this story, do you see yourself as being Gomer or as being Hosea? Now actually, we can see ourselves in both of them. Gomer was undeserving of Hosea's love. We are undeserving of God's love. We've proven ourselves to be unfaithful again and again. Even after we're saved, we knowingly break God's law. God's love is perfect, but still from time to time, we are enticed by the world and we sin. And yet God still loves us. He chose to love us first and he still loves us. And he forgives us no matter how many times we disappoint him. So when we think of the story in this way, we're reminded God is faithful to me. God loves me, even though I do not deserve it. Now, we can also see ourselves in Hosea because God calls us to love and to forgive others, even though they don't deserve it. Perhaps your friends or your family or your spouse will let you down. Perhaps maybe they won't betray you to the level that Gomer did to Hosea, or maybe they will, but they will sin against you. When you live with someone, they are a sinner, you are a sinner. Sooner or later, they're going to sin against you and they will hurt you. 
What are you going to do? Well, Hosea was supposed to love her anyway because Christ loved us. And that is what God calls you to do is to love those people anyway and to forgive them anyway, even if they have hurt you. So God calls us to be holy as he is holy, to show the same love and grace and commitment and forgiveness toward others that he showed to Israel. That is a very, very high standard. Uh, It's certainly what God calls us to do. Uh, Ephesians 5, he tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church. A very, very high standard. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How are we to forgive? It says, As God in Christ forgave you. That's the standard. Forgive as he forgives. Wow. That is difficult. And that is the standard that God gives to us. He calls us to love others and to forgive others in that way. So what is the application for us from this? First of all, seeing ourselves in Gomer's example, we should be thankful for God's love and his forgiveness. And in, in turn, we should be motivated to show that same love and forgiveness to others. 1 John 4.19 Uh, This is a verse that my wife and I got inscribed on our wedding ring. So it's a very special verse to me. And it says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. So God loves us when we didn't deserve it. Therefore, we are to go out and love others who do not deserve it either. So think about your own self and think about the people around you. Is there someone perhaps in your life that has hurt you, maybe hurt you very deeply, perhaps a spouse, perhaps a child or a parent or a friend, what would God have you do? Maybe today God wants to remind you that you need to show unconditional love to that person as he did to Israel and as Hosea did to Gomer. That might require doing something. Hosea was supposed to go, go to do this. You might need to go. You might need to get up. You might need to initiate contact with that person to let them know that you still love them or to extend your forgiveness to them or to give them an invitation or an olive branch toward reconciliation. All right, let's go forward. Okay, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame. She conceived and bore him a son. I'll read verses 4 through 11 now. The Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I'll punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to her, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no longer, no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she'd weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. It shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So in these verses, God gives another very, very difficult task to Hosea. Um, 
yeah, something which is rare and unique. And as far as I can think of, the only time in scripture that it happens, he tells Hosea what to name his children. Now that part's not unique. God often gives names to people. But the names that God gave to Hosea to give to his children are, well, we can say very special. Um, And by special, it means uh, not that pleasant sounding. Not that pleasant sounding at all. Now from this, we are reminded that our children belong to God. And so we see this in Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Okay, so children are a heritage from the Lord. Children come from the Lord. So children... They come from the Lord, and then they are entrusted to their parents' care. Now, their parents' job is to raise them as good stewards, to train them in the way of the Lord. When they grow up, the parents then shoot them as arrows, launching them to be used for God's glory, however he sees fit. Hannah is an example of this. Uh, Hannah gave birth to Samuel, and she dedicated him to the Lord. And from a young age, Samuel served the Lord, and he grew up to be a great judge and a prophet in Israel. Now, sometimes God asks us to do some very uncomfortable things with our kids. Now, I'm guessing that none of your children are named these things. Can you imagine naming your child No Mercy or Not My People or Jezreel? That is what God asked Hosea and Gomer to name their children. Now, I have uh, one of my daughters, I gave her the name Mercy for her middle name, and another one, I gave the name Patience for her middle name, but I certainly didn't call any of them No Mercy. So this is a very unique request. Now, Hosea was obedient. Even before his children were born, he obeyed God's will for his children, namely that they were going to be used as object lessons to teach the country fundamental principles about God's relationship to them. So God enabled Gomer to conceive and to have children at very specific times for very specific reasons. Hosea then acted as a steward and he stewarded them uh, and obeyed God's instructions for them no matter how strange they may have seemed to him. So we can get Uh, in application from this, and that is we cannot hold on to our children forever. Our children, first and foremost, belong to God. They are not just to give us security or retirement in our old age. Neither should they be viewed as some kind of a proxy to live out our dreams that we couldn't accomplish and to live out these things through them. They're a resource which God uh, has given to us, and they're our very greatest resource to use for God's glory. So we can dedicate our children to God. Now, Hosea knew that. And he said, God, I will do whatever you want with my children. That includes from the very beginning, I'll give them the name that you want me to give them. But then their whole life is also dedicated to you. However you want to use them, I'm open to it. And I will submit myself to your will. And that is the same thing which we should do. So let us get into each of these names and what they mean. Okay, so the first one was going to be called Jezreel. And it says, "For just, In just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. 
Uh, Jehu was commanded by God to strike down and kill all of Ahab's house. And indeed, he was commended by the Lord for doing that. But here in Hosea 1.4, God says that he's going to punish Jehu's house for the blood of Jezreel. So we could ask, wait a minute, is Jehu going to be punished for obeying the command of the Lord? Uh, Obviously not. So there are three possible interpretations. One is that Jehu's house was going to be punished because he went too far in his bloodthirstiness. He not only executed judgment on Ahab's family, but he killed many, many others uh, beyond God's command and instruction, including friends and priests, and he even killed the king of Judah as well. Another possibility could be that he is being condemned because he had the wrong motivation. He carried out the instruction of the Lord, what God told him to do, but God also looks at the heart. And we get a glimpse of Jehu's heart in 2 Kings 10.31. It says, Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin. So we see that Jehu was not a faithful follower of of God, and he did not honor God in his heart. So his heart was a wicked thing. So perhaps he obeyed the command of God on the outside, but he did it for the wrong reasons, for sinful and selfish reasons. And so God was going to judge him for that. Uh, The third possibility is that God may have decided to punish the house of Jehu because he walked in the same sins of those he destroyed at Jezreel. So Jehu is commanded by God to be the one who executes judgment on Ahab, who brought idolatry into Israel. So Jehu does this, but then Jehu falls into the same sins and leads the people into the same sins of idolatry. He should have known better because after all, God told him to wipe these things out and then he's doing the same things. So we're not quite sure which interpretation is the correct one, but the point is that Jehu did not honor the Lord and God was going to Punish him. So that is the background for the first name of the first child, Jezreel. And the second one was to be called No Mercy. Uh, again, not a name you see every day. And you could imagine Hosea calling his daughter uh, over for dinner or calling her over to clean her room and saying, Hey, No Mercy, uh, come over here. And so every time he said her name, No Mercy, That's a bit jarring, a bit shocking, especially to those around them, Uh, neighbors and other passersby on the street, like, wait a minute, did he call his daughter that? And so this would have been an opportunity to use this name to then turn the conversation towards spiritual things and let people know why his daughter was named that and what that meant as far as the message from God. And so when he called his daughter no mercy, then he had an open door to tell the people around him, you know why her name is no mercy? It means because you disobeyed God and you had idolatry and you have not obeyed the law of the Lord and therefore God is going to judge you and God is not going to have mercy on you. His mercy and his patience have limits. So you need to repent as soon as possible. So yes, God is slow to anger, but that doesn't mean he never gets angry. He gives many opportunities to repent. But if they are not taken, then the final judgment is going to come.
So though God was not going to totally save Israel from destruction, he did promise that he was going to preserve a remnant for them. And there was always a remnant that God preserved from the nation of Israel. So on the one side, his patience and his mercy had a limit and the people who continually and flagrantly rebelled against God were going to be judged. But on an even bigger picture scale, God was still going to preserve a remnant among the peoples of Israel. Okay, so the first, the second one is called no mercy. And so he says, I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. So Israel, the northern kingdom, they kept sinning, 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 rebelling. If you look at the history of their kings, every single king was evil and sinful and idolatrous. And God says, I'm not going to have any mercy on them. But for the house of Judah, I will. He was going to preserve a remnant among the people of Judah for himself. And he said, I will save them and I will be the Lord their God. And he says he's not going to do this just through strength of arms. It's not going to be through their own power so that they can give praise to themselves. It's going to be his way and it's going to be his time. All right, so the third child is called not my people. Not my people. Again, an unusual name. Uh, Hosea calls to his son and he says, hey, not my people, come clean your room. And people again will, will think, hmm, what is that? Why is he calling his son that? And that was another opportunity for Hosea to share the prophetic message from God to them. And so God was declaring that the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, were not his people anymore. They had willfully chosen to reject him. He would choose to reject them. Now, this rejection was not complete in the sense that all of them would have no part in God's blessings. Even in the midst of those rejected people, individuals could still be saved. If an individual said, I want to believe in God, I want to have faith in him, I want to repent of my sins, they could. Rather, it was for the group because the group had sinned. And even in the midst of this, God still promises to preserve a remnant. And that remnant includes primarily the people of Judah, but also people from the northern kingdom who had uh, reformed or repented and gone into Judah to live. So there is a stern warning in this passage toward the people of Israel that judgment was going to come. And yet there's also comfort too. And we often see God's judgment and his comfort and his mercy shared side by side. And so verse 10 says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. In this place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. So God was going to preserve a remnant and eventually through the judgment, through the discipline, people from both Judah and Israel were going to turn to the Lord and to be gathered together. Now this will be fulfilled finally during the end times and during the millennium when Israel as a nation embraces Jesus as 
the Messiah. So the one head mentioned here, it says, for themselves, uh, they shall appoint for themselves one head. That one head is a reference to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so Israel and Judah were unfaithful to God for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they experienced the judgment for that. They experienced uh, exile and wars and being conquered by foreign enemies and all kinds of consequences as a result of their disobedience to God. And yet through it all, God says, yes, you will be judged, but I also love you and I will also preserve a remnant. And one day in the future, there will be this glorious restoration when the people of Israel, the people of Judah come back together and truly worship God as their king. And Jesus Christ will be their head. And so this passage is a very encouraging reminder that even though God executes justice, that his mercy is always side by side, that God loves us, that he extends his faithfulness to us, that he will forgive us again and again and again when we sin. There's also a warning. We shouldn't take that forgiveness for granted and keep on sinning, just expecting that God will do this for us. We shouldn't take it for granted. But we should be grateful to him because of the forgiveness that we have in him because his mercies are new every morning. So let's come back to the promise in verse 10, which says, In place of, you are not my people, it shall be said, children of the living God. God always makes a way back to him, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's a way for those people who are aliens to God, who are enemies, who are rebels, to come back to him and to even become his children. That is the love, that is the grace that he offers. And I hope that you have experienced that love, that grace, that forgiveness in your own life. I hope that you enjoyed this lesson on Hosea chapter 1. I would invite you to like and subscribe. Uh, This is a way that you can support the message of this channel. When you click like and subscribe, then it tells the YouTube algorithm that this is a good message, and so it passes it on to even more people. Uh, So I hope that, again, you enjoyed this lesson, and I look forward to seeing you next time as we study Hosea chapter 2. God bless. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.